Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I am your host, Alex Danzig. We're excited to announce that we are bringing the Cafe Bitcoin Conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Max Kaiser, Lynn Alden, Thomas Strolight, Corey Clipston, and many others from the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button to make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode, or you can join us live on Twitter Spaces, Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific. Yeah, no, it is actually. It is. In fact, I've been I've been talking about this ever since the Bitcoin, the Miami Bitcoin twenty twenty two conference. This is that um, when Loomis was on stage, she that's what she said. She said we were going to try and put Bitcoin underneath the CFTC, and I'm thinking to myself, why the fuck would you do that? I mean, what percentage of of value in in bitcoin trade volume occurs as a futures contract some tiny 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 fraction of it like what is the purpose of that i don't know i think they're reaching for straws i mean the truth is i mean if tomo were up here he'd be like well you can't it's because you can't regulate bitcoin <laughs> which That's is why, true it's <laughs> why beauty takes a position that it's a messaging system and it shouldn't even be regulated and i would take it one step further you got a group of people including uh senator lummis who believe they have the authority to tell everybody else what to do so it's as simple as that and i don't believe they should have that authority but they do have that authority because they have the monopoly no, on extortion don't. and violence well they do no, they in a don't. sense that they control the enforcers and they could make everybody do what they want at certain no, levels no they can't how is no, that not can't. true well okay I failed to see that argument unfortunately sorry tell me all right well here's the thing at the end of the day they may have the you know certain jackboots that are going to enforce what they want sure but they're every free man has to draw a line in the sand somewhere you understand like they can't make anybody do anything if it comes down to it bumping uglies they can't make anybody do anything that's what i'm saying i never said they could make us i said they think they have the authority Jim, to do it you literally just said they could make anybody do anything you literally just said that because they have a monopoly on violence well, when well, when, wait, wait, wait. When push comes to shove, one individual with a bunch of cops surrounding his house, they can potentially make you do things you wouldn't otherwise do. When it really gets down to the, you know, push comes to shove, sometimes some people can make other people do things they don't want to do, like end up in handcuffs in a cage like Russ Ulbricht, who didn't do shit to the world. And now he's spending his whole life in a box because some people can make other people do things they don't not only don't want to do, but shouldn't even have to do. And because they have the monopoly on extortion and violence, right? Without that. So Cynthia Lummis believes she is in a position to tell the world about Bitcoin and how it should be regulated. So for your safety or whatever bullshit, fuck these people. Well, fuck she's a politician, them. right? What do you expect her to do? What do you expect her to do? 
Hey, Maybe I'm going to keep running my node. That's all I know. Yeah, I, th- I think we're talking past each other. You and I are talking about two different things, man. That's I right, apologize. Though. I didn't mean to. I just get very pissed off about people trying to run my life without my permission. Yep, you're not alone in that. We all just have to do what, what we think is right. That's what I was getting at. At the end of the day, we all make our own decisions, right? I absolutely agree with that, and I, I resist every chance I get because I don't acknowledge their authority. But you're right. We, every man has to decide where they're going to draw the line and how far they're going to fight. I agree. But, okay. Interesting way to get started this morning. Sorry, I didn't mean to make it rough. Hey, it doesn't, it doesn't take long if you start talking about politics, so, <laughs> right? Well, I don't know. It's kind of inevitable. I mean, this is not a political show, but politics intersects with, with life. Oh, and, I agree, and uh, I, don't, I don't mean that in a bad way, Alex. I'm just saying it, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's intertwined in everything we do. I agree. Speaking of which, so what is today? Today's Wednesday. So this came out today. It says on Wednesday, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi called Pelosi's trip a complete farce and warned those who offend China will be punished. President Xi Jinping told President Joe Biden last week that he would resolutely safeguard China's national sovereignty and territorial integrity, that whoever plays with fire will get burned. So, I don't know. I was a little concerned over her going over there because I thought they might do something. Well, they have. They have announced trade sanctions and its most provocative military drills in decades. It's a bit of an anti-climax. I'm glad nothing bad happened, but uh, I, don't, I don't know what I was expecting. I, I just, I don't know. They sounded like they were going to do something. Anybody have uh, any thoughts on this? Well, I also read, I guess it's somewhat related. I also read or heard, I think, that China's not, not going to... Uh, provide sand to Taiwan anymore, I guess, you know, for their um, silicon making mm. chips. China's got a lot of internal issues, economic. Um, they've got a, they've got a, a, you know, a lending mortgage uh, property uh, housing uh, issue brewing that is gargantuan, I think, in comparison to some others in the world and that we've seen. Um, and you know, a smart, uh, a smart person doesn't tell somebody they're going to hit them first. They just hit them. You know, it's the bullies that do that. So it, it's actually a good thing. You know, we sabered our, we, we rattled our saber, they rattled their saber. And now hopefully things can kind of, uh, calm down a little bit. And, um, you know, going into Taiwan is not like going into the Ukraine. These are completely different, um, issues. 
the the U.S. Seventh Fleet does not sit in between uh, the Ukraine and Russia, um, and uh, the Seventh Fleet sits in between China and and Taiwan, and that's a that's a big deal. That's that's as Tomer said yesterday. You know, that's that's the first step towards mutually mutually assured destruction. That that just that just goes bad for everybody. I'm curious. There's an interesting thought here because it it seems like the administration is trying to speak out of both sides of their mouth. Whether they authorized Pelosi to go to Taiwan or whether she just did it. Now, I think I've heard. You know, someone from the uh, the White House uh, say both things, and I wonder if it makes any difference because if you have, a, you know, Nancy Pelosi sort of going on her own accord um, against the wishes of the Biden administration, there's an interesting dynamic there because they are of the same party. But then you could also have plausible deniability if you're the Biden administration saying, "Yeah, we want them. We want Nancy to go." But we're that's, just gonna say that she's going that's not on plausible own. deniability. I mean, that that shows a lack of control of your own party and your own government. It, it's it not shows. just their own party. Those are military yeah, people a, flying. Those are military people flying her there, and they obey the orders of the United States president. They do not obey the orders of Nancy Pelosi. Well, they yeah. definitely said that she's going on her own accord. So, you know, obviously there's there's semantics here, but they're trying to say, like, we, we don't authorize this, but I think that they do. And, um, you know, the United States loves a proxy war. So regardless of the outcome here, I think that it's going to ratchet up tensions um, between those two countries as soon as she leaves. And we're already starting are to you, see that. And Sean, are that's you, the position are you, we're comfortable being. Are you from the United States? I am, yes. We got Milan up here. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Alex. Can you hear me? I'm on the, I'm on a drive, so I might like work out a little bit. But can you guys hear me? That's very difficult to hear you, man. But go ahead. Oh, sorry about that. Um, just uh, touching on the Pelosi trip, I just think it was uh, absolute uh, kabuki theater yesterday. Um, it was meant to the, the the goal of the whole thing yesterday was to generate the, the media headlines and just that energy that it generated. Um, it was, I don't think anything was going to happen. Um, speaking out of both sides of their mouth, I think that's a, that's a something called strategic ambiguity purposefully kind of send two messages out because that caused if you were following the news closely yesterday that caused the chinese leadership or whatever to summon the u.s ambassador to china and start asking hey what the hell are the americans thinking here so it was more of a influence type you know operation i will say to, to a degree against the chinese just just to message something but i just don't think that the goal of what this whole trip was about and what all yesterday was about was really clear to everybody else because I think there's just something else in the background that that we're not that we're not really seeing because uh, the way the media works and to my understanding especially our media anything we're hearing is what they want us to hear anything we see is what they want us to see they always have the ulterior motives so I think 
just paying attention to certain signals, we can ultimately kind of try to figure out what's what's going on. But this whole thing yesterday was, in my opinion, just kabuki theater, just to uh, generate a lot of energy and a lot of uh, distraction for for the common folk like us. All right, let's move on. <clears throat> I don't know if we're going to get anything. Alex, uh... can I just make a comment real quick? Um, I just want to point out the hypocrisy of the dog and pony show of uh, our government sending a drunk uh, inside trader old lady across the planet, wasting all kinds of fuel to go say hi to a bunch of people on an island, triggering massive military um, operations and increasing the footprint footprint of global warming and spending all kinds of fuel and what would Greta say? Holy crap. I'd love to hear what all the supporters of this have to say regarding their anti-global warming bullshit narrative that they want to pump out. This is the most absurd exercise in political bullshit I've seen in my 60 years of being on this planet. This is insane. How dare you? All right, let's move on then, because I mean, this stuff, while it's, um, I don't know, it's, it's obviously current and it was kind of on my mind as far as the whole Pelosi and, and the China reaction thing, but this doesn't have anything to do with Bitcoin. <laughs> so let's just keep going here. Uh, apparently sailor has decided to hand off reins of running MicroStrategy to his two IC so that he could focus on Bitcoin. That's an interesting development. There are some people like framing this as some kind of a negative thing. <laughs> super bullish. I think it's super bullish. Yeah. You better, like, better buy your Bitcoin before he gets it, right? <laughs> uh, somewhat related to that, I read yesterday 91% of, uh, you know, all Bitcoin's been mined. So there's only like 9% left between now and when it's all going to be mined. So yeah, get your Bitcoin now. <laughs> There's a, a gold bug who says, you know, framing up a sailor deciding to focus on Bitcoin that he goes, I guess Bitcoin doesn't fix everything. MicroStrategy CEO steps down as if it's a negative thing. Like he's, I mean, it just blows my brain. Like, Wow. Anyway, his hey, can exact. I, can I, sorry, go ahead. Sailor's uh, statement on it was: "I believe that splitting the roles of chairman and CEO will enable us to better pursue our two corporate strategies of acquiring and holding Bitcoin and growing our enterprise analytics software business. As executive chairman, I will be able to focus more on our Bitcoin acquisition strategy and related to Bitcoin advocacy initiatives." While Fong. Will be empowered to CEO to manage the overall corporate operations. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, no, I, I think this is really bullish. I think this is uh, he's stepping down to step up, basically, and uh, he's going to take. I mean, CEOs typically are, or at least Michael Saylor is an operating CEO, so this gives him more time to figure out ways to strategize to get MicroStrategy in a good position to get more Bitcoin. So I think this is wildly bullish. I think he's just stepping away from operating the company and working on how to get the cash flow or the sats flow onto his balance sheet. So I'm really excited for this. And many people were framing it, I think, in the correct perspective of saying, like, you know, I, I think even Tomer did a tweet of like, 
Michael Saylor stepping away from operating the company to acquire more Bitcoin. Like this is wildly bullish or I'll put it up in the nest, but I I'm really excited for this. Yeah, me too. I think it's a good move. Jim. Yeah. Um, I've had my concerns about Michael Saylor, even though at, at currently I believe he's a net positive for the space. Um, I have a feeling that some of his business dealings probably deal with governments. And I think he's been very careful about his, um, uh, voicing his, his deep down position, maybe on Bitcoin. He said a, a bunch of things that don't drive with my perception exactly. But I just wonder if he's moving away for, uh, to put himself in a position where he can maybe criticize government a little more, maybe get on the side of the plebs a little more. I'd like to see it. I just wonder if anybody else uh, has a similar perspective on his very difficult position, being a fiduciary of a, of a, a corporation that deals with companies all over the world and then wanting this rebel money to be, you know, everybody's money. Uh, they'd seem diametrically opposed in some ways, those, those couple of uh, positions that he might be in, in the middle of, and maybe he's trying to put himself in a, a more, maybe a position where he can be more real about this. Maybe if he is really real deep down, but he's been playing a game because he's towing a certain line. Just be curious to see if anybody else sees that kind of a position there. It'll be interesting to see if he changes. I think he is a Machiavellian at heart in the good way, not in the bad way. I think he's like super tactical about the way he describes things. There was one time when he explained why, um, you know, if Joe Biden tweeted something rather than, you know, having a nasty reply tweet, he would rather just say, oh, well, I actually think Bitcoin is great for small businesses and here's why. And that way, you know, he could bring you know, hundreds or thousands of new fans to Bitcoin without alienating a ton of people and i don't expect him to change on that front but maybe some of his wording when they try and push for cbdc's would get a little different if he's you know a chairman instead of ceo oops sorry i don't, I don't know um you know exactly the the demarcation between a chairman and a ceo i, I know a chairman still has a fiduciary responsibility to their to their company but you know he's following the same playbook i mean there's Dorsey's done this, Zuckerberg's done this, Bezos done this. I mean, all these guys do. This. He's still the largest shareholder in in uh, uh, in MicroStrategy. So it's he's kind of moving away. He's just I think he's just as as Alex or as somebody said, you know, he's just moving away from the day to day operations to concentrate on acquiring Bitcoin and. And it just seems like super bullish to me. I mean, the guy was super bullish to begin with. Um, and um, I don't know. I, I think it's a I think it's a positive. Yellow. Hey. What's up? I got all the scoop, man. I talked with the guy. If everything is okay, guys. Don't worry. Um he just uh, building his bunker. It's gonna be uh, powered by Lightning Network to get in. And uh, don't worry, uh, he's gonna focus more on Bitcoin. And uh, uh, whatever he does, uh, being a billionaire, uh, of course it's gonna be in favor of the plebs, right? Every billionaire things that anyway don't uh, everything is good okay don't worry yellow did you get him a hat did you get him a building hat 
Um, he didn't want to. I talked to him uh, with DMs yesterday. He didn't talk to. I asked him, um, are you okay? And he didn't respond. And then I started worrying because, like, he right away responds to me. And I'm like, maybe he is out. But then uh, he responded and he said, uh, oh, hello, my good, good, uh, very close friend. Uh, yes, I am okay. I'm just uh, taking a time, a break, and I'm going to build my Bitcoin bunker. Bullish report. Now I, I think I'm super bullish. Well, I, I don't know if, if I have to say something now, uh, since we have insider information now. Yeah, he said, uh, he said something about, I'm not going to build the Citadel, and he started talking about energy and how it's vulnerable by many uh, like uh, views, and like everybody can see it, and he's going the bunker way for some reason. So yeah, but we 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 talked about this yesterday, and um, my feeling is that, and and I don't know if this really matters, but was he pushed out of of CEO, or was his initiative to just uh, go on another position that releases him for such responsibilities, and now he can have time for for a new project, and so like I feel like that's, inside, I think, yeah, I think, he's building the bunker. So like, I think the project right now. So I that, think it kind. has to do. Uh, I think it has to do with legal stuff, and him being more free to express himself and do what he wants, because as a CEO, uh, like he can do and say a lot of things. That's my uh, feeling, and. Uh, I have no inside info about that, that, but that's why how I feel like that's why he's like and 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 MicroStrategy like is a company that can run by itself by now. I guess like like what's the point of for him staying a CEO? So I, I think it's really really bullish that a sailor is doing this because. He has billions of dollars in Bitcoin, right, between himself and MicroStrategy. It's within his best interest for not only himself but his company to make sure that Bitcoin succeeds. We already believe it's going to, right? But it's, but it's within his best interests to do what he can to make sure that becomes a reality because of the sheer amount of money that – he has tied up in Bitcoin, so anything oh, he can do to, to further adoption—that's good. That that you know—that's his goal to further adoption, like acquire more Bitcoin. He's going to be focused on that because it makes absolute sense when you have that size of position. Derek, I didn't see you there because, uh, as I told you guys, I talked to the guy yesterday, and he said uh, one of the side projects he's going to do is like take the spots for Stack Chain. From uh, 798 now that is somewhere around there. He's going to take it through, uh, uh, he says something like 40,054, something. He, it was meant something very close to him. I don't know why he's going to do that. So uh, be aware of, from, for a lot of uh, screenshots. So he, he's going to come out and buy like block 806 the whole way up through 40,000. Gotcha. All right. <laughs> hey. And uh, if he's going to leave some chains, you know, like do a stack join, join stack, how you call it. Thank you, Yellow. It's good to know. I'll let the team managing the mempool know that shit's going to get crazy. Bye, guys.
Yeah, I, I responded uh, to Tomer's tweet, and uh, um, I, I just expressed a skepticism, uh, basically saying, uh, trying to draw like a correlation. Obviously, this is just all conjecture from my part. This is obviously my just opinion. And I just thought it was kind of strange that two billionaires or two rich guys who are de defense contract and holding individuals are also now in the short term announcing a position from their companies with regards to Bitcoin. I just, that's just what jumped out at me when I heard this. I don't think anything of it. That was just what I responded. So in other news, Binance uh, apparently has lost 90% of users. Um, not total users, but uh, the headline goes 90% of users after implementing KYC losing billions of revenue. Binance made the contentious decision in July 2021 to reduce the maximum amount of Bitcoin that customers without Binance KYC accounts may withdraw from two Bitcoin to 0 0.06. According to their lead compliance officer, the move has cost the crypto company um, or the crypto exchange billions in revenue. He discussed how Binance is exponentially larger than its competitors, but using <laughs> real math, noted the rate of illegal behavior is the same regardless of whether they're KYC, not KYC. And he goes on to say, we have lost 90% of our customers after implementing KYC, losing billions of revenue. I don't know if that means he's he's saying that 90% of his total customers or 90% of new onboarding customers after implementing KYC. Does anybody know? I don't, I don't know, Alex, but that's a pretty small, and, and, and for a lot of people, that's a pretty small amount to be able to withdraw. That's for sure. It's tiny. It's almost ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, Binance has been, I mean, SEC has been getting after them too. Um, they're currently investigating Coinbase. And my understanding is they're looking for a way to, to get after Binance. Go ahead, Wicked. So I was, just, I was running a space just before this little pre-cafe space where we were talking a lot about mixing and UTXO management and privacy. And one thing that I'm, I'm curious about, like what, what you guys might think is, you know, how, how relevant is KYC versus no KYC really going to be in the future when there's like all sorts of, you know, circular economies going on and, and like, you know, UTXOs are trading hands so frequently that it becomes very difficult to track. Yeah, Beautyon has an article about this. We talked about it the other day, about how KYC exists like on the edge of this ever-growing blob. And once you get on the inside, uh, it, that blob just keeps growing. And even if you try to sell out, then it's like you're actually throwing a rock basically from like the blob out, like gaining more space, more mass. So, yeah, I mean... Uh, that article shows for sure that once Bitcoin leaves that on-ramp and you're in that circular economy, then KYC becomes meaningless. 
I'd love I like hope to they're right. comment on that. Yeah, I believe he's right on that. Um, the people who would attempt to rule us, <laughs> um, they, they only have so many workers. They can only target so many people. Most people are just regular folks. They're not a big enough target. It's kind of like if you forget to pay your taxes, they might send you some letters for a while, but they may never get around to knocking on your door. They just don't have enough people. And I do believe one day that this whole KYC thing will be meaningless and the coin uh, the coin um, mixing that's being done might be for naught. But there's there's no reason not to do it if it's uh, safe and you know what you're doing and you, know, you can protect some privacy. I think that's very important. But I do think for most people, uh, it won't be a problem. And if you become the target of some other person, uh, there's almost nothing you can do to avoid it if they really have it out for you. We've seen that uh, injustice play out many times in, in the world and for many people in many places. So um, I, I don't think it's a problem in the long run, but so, certainly in the short run, we have to be vigilant. Yeah, I'd say like where, where I worry with, you know, KYC stuff is, you know, if if if, if you bought your coins from a KYC company, let's say like Coinbase, and then you know that coin. I mean, everyone knows Coinbase is fucking keeping every single bit and piece of information they can on you. So not only your name and your address and your withdrawn coins, but they're probably also tracking like where those coins have been or where they will go. Like you know, in the future, however many steps they track it. So like all that's in a database, and if that gets leaked, um. Like that's the concern that I'd have with the KYC thing. Not so much like governments coming and knocking on your door, but more like, like all of a sudden that information gets leaked, and then you've got like, you know, people who are going to wrench attack you knocking on your door, which is in that's my mind scary in the government. Excellent point. I didn't even think about that, but you're absolutely right. I don't trust databases anywhere on this planet, and the more we're in them, the more susceptible we are. I think that's a great point. People who are doing that are looking for uh, big targets. The chances of or easy targets. Yeah, but I, you know, I mean, it's it's. I think it's okay to live with that knowledge, you know, that understanding. But I personally am not going to live my life um, worried about the getting hit by lightning. (laughs) <laughs> that's a good way to put it it's like focusing on the on the hole instead of the donut as greg foss would say right hey i just put that beauty on article in the nest it might take a minute to get up there but it's up there yeah and i mean you know and and there's more to privacy and security than than bitcoin right i mean everyone should be having good privacy and security practices in real life too so get yourselves some good security cameras that are wired okay don't do that fucking stupid wi-fi shit and then get yourself some some protection you know however however you can in your jurisdiction but preferably <laughs> with firearms yeah like private keys and, and, and firearms are pretty similar and i think you take a ton of responsibility with the private key but we, all of us should consider getting real comfortable with firearms and maybe even getting to the point where you carry daily and you feel that comfortable walking around with it because it's kind of very in line with the Bitcoin ethos. Have, have some compassion and some empathy for others and be aware of what's going on around you. And, um, you know, 
usually uh usually the the best way to kill people is with kindness i I'd be careful about <clears throat> saying that that carrying firearms is part of the bitcoin ethos I think that that that's pushing that a little um because like there's a lot of different kind of bitcoiners there's people from you know very i mean all over the world with different belief systems i mean it i think it's a very difficult thing to say that it goes with Bitcoin. I think if you're that kind of a person and it goes with you, then in, in that case, then yeah. But I think the important thing is to not necessarily try to put all Bitcoiners in a box like that. We don't speak for all people who use Bitcoin. Bitcoin's got no counsel of what is Bitcoin or, or you know, like what, what, what there, there's no, there's no CEO here. So I'd be careful about that. I, I know a lot of people are super sensitive about firearms. I'm a big advocate, obviously, if you don't know me. However, like, you know, I'm not going to try and make people like it. I think personally, I think firearms are critical to, to protecting your rights, you know, your natural rights, because otherwise, you know, humans, there are always, there's always been humans who want to take your rights away, basically, and control you. It's always been that way. And the only thing pushing up against that ever really has been the ability to stop it. And at the end of the day, some people are willing to use force to control you. So unfortunately you have to use force to defend yourself sometimes. Go ahead, Peter. Yeah. I just want to say, you know, that, that I, I agree with what you're saying, Alex. I think we, we, or I think I certainly as an individual need to add a caveat to, to that kind of sentiment. And that's that, you know, violence is a, um, violence is a last resort and de-escalation is always the best way to go. And hopefully violence does not have to be utilized. Um, having that as a tool is something that, uh, is just the reality of, of humanity. Um, and hopefully Bitcoin fixes some of this. You know what study I just saw recently, since we're on the topic of, of violence and, and crime? Did you guys see that study that came out? I don't know when it came out. Honestly, I probably should have paid more attention. <laughs> but it came out and it showed that there's like a really, really strong correlation with lead measurements in bones and then crime. Uh, there's like a, a you know a 20-year lag between the measurements in the bones and the crime. But like if you shift the crime over by 20 years it almost maps perfectly on the lead content of babies uh, what? In, inside of a population and they've done this study like in different countries so like the profiles are vastly different like some of them you know have like a couple peaks some of them kind of go up steadily or whatever some of them go down a little bit but like the crime maps like fucking perfectly over it it's so crazy like, so the conclusion is that lead, like having lead um, poisoning or having at least like a little bit of lead content actually increases your propensity to commit crime or be violent. So are you saying Flint, Michigan, uh, in a full serious thing, I know Flint, Michigan was having the lead in the water issue five years ago, at least it was noticed. But do you think that their crime rates over the last 20, 25 years are probably escalated, I'm assuming? From that study, I don't know if you know Wicked. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I haven't followed that story 
closely. I mean, I, I obviously I know of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if like you can you can bet that there's people who are watching that. Yeah, I mean, if communities who have higher exposure to lead, um, you know, f- for longer periods of time are, are around, I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure there are, you know, increases in crime rate. And it's hard to kind of correlate the two because obviously it's like if you're a community that has a lot of exposure to lead, it also means that you probably have like you know, not very much funding and infrastructure problems and all sorts of things. So like, there's all sorts of things that kind of tie into it, right? Maybe it's not a perfect one-to-one, but then the fact that you're seeing these correlations happening kind of, you know, in in all sorts of different places around the world, it makes it like a little bit more, you know, I don't know, believable, I guess. But, but anyways, I thought that was just a fascinating correlation, whether or not it's true. I mean, I don't know. I, I think we have to obviously look into it more, but but yeah, you can also, you know, the other problem, too, is that once the once the lead in the system is discovered or in the community is discovered, people have a tendency to try to move away from from that area. So, you know, they're spread out, but tracking where they came from. And I guarantee and I've seen this study and I guarantee you that there are that there are people who are who are watching um, individuals from the from the Flint area because of exactly that. I mean, did you guys know that leaded gasoline wasn't banned, what, until 1996? Is that what it was? Like, that's fucking crazy. I mean, we were literally burning gasoline that was, <laughs> that was like, putting evaporated lead into the air and all breathing it in for so long, right? And, and I think there actually are still, like, some countries that, does anybody does anybody know the uh, the the reason for that? Like, what is the? Yeah, it was the well, valves. It was valves from the from the older engines. They they used to need uh, they used to need lead. Yeah, they so would, they would knock. We used, sorry, Wicked. I was just going to make a crack. We used to drink out of uh, water hoses too. <laughs> I did growing up. You guys don't still? I'd still drink out of water hoses. What's wrong with that? Yeah, and I still hate that taste from the from the uh, from the vinyl. Because it used to have lead in it, some of them, I believe. Anyway, <laughs> oh, I better replace my water hoses. <laughs> wow, we talk about some weird stuff. Um, did you guys hear that Solana? Uh, there's a big hack, I guess. Has anybody got the deets on this? There was like. I don't remember the actual number, something like a thousand wallets every 20 minutes or something like that. So I guess it was programmatically done, but uh, I obviously don't have any altcoins, but this should tell everyone that that self-custody, you know, not hot wallets is obviously not a good deal. That's why I hate, although I don't do it anymore, MetaMask and Trust Wallet and Exodus, all of these, you know, stinking hot wallets. It's don't keep much on it. It's not smart. I just thought it was funny. Uh, someone said uh, maybe Solana should just focus on uh, securing their network instead of trying to build a phone. Yeah, and then someone else said, imagine getting a Solana phone and having it SIM swapped every day. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. 
I like that code is law and people figured out ways to use the existing code to uh, mess, mess around with it. But I think some people said they could see this coming. I think they're called Bitcoiners. For, for those of you who can't see because you're not in the room, that's Peter sighing over and over. <laughs> Don't shake coin. It's bad for you. Jeez. We've been, we've been trying to warn people. For I mean, a long at a certain time. point, what do you, you can just sigh. I mean, I'm just rolling my eyes. I mean, it's just, it's just like it happens. It's it happens every freaking week. I mean, what, it, Oh, Hey, we better shut down Solana again. I mean, you know what, what, uh, yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, we have Bitcoin, which is run perfectly without a single issue when it comes to security for 13 years. Hello? 99.98 or whatever percent uptime over 13 uh, years. Well, yeah. Let's point something out because if somebody's new to Bitcoin, they may not understand this, right? Like if a platform gets hacked, and somebody figures out how to steal the keys for the Bitcoin on the platform. That's not the same thing as Bitcoin, the network getting hacked, right? That's an important distinction. That's a good distinction that people yeah. need to understand. Because I, in the in the early days when I didn't understand Bitcoin, I would hear about various different hacks like Mt. Gox or whatever. Like, well, people would be jumping up and down, screaming, "Look, Bitcoin got hacked!" It's like, no, no, Bitcoin didn't. Get I tried. I trust capital was down for, I think, four days. Couldn't get to, you know, it's an IRA platform, but yeah. Do you think it's just like the incompetent incompetence of developers on these shit coins that are leading to these hacks? I mean, like, who the fuck's making these wallets where there's a back door? No, it's it's speed and convenience versus security, and that is what people who who that's what Bitcoin maxis and people who develop Bitcoin are absolutely most concerned about is security. Because when you're talking about money, I don't know. I want it to be secure. They're living up to move fast and break things. It's perfect. Chris, what are you thinking? Yeah, I was exactly going to say they're living up to moving fast and break things. Um, I forget what the other point I was going to mention. Um, were, you, were you going to sigh? I, I, I could sigh. I could do that. I'll, I'll come back to me in a minute. <laughs> and there was much sighing in Cafe Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. I guess I remember the, the point now. Uh, a lot of people, or at least I was seeing the sentiment on Twitter, a lot of people were screaming that, you know, Bitcoiners are, are happy that people are losing money. You know, they're, they're being mean and toxic, kind of the old FUD that we hear all the time. And by no means am I happy that anyone lost money. But I just hope that this is a learning lesson if you did lose money, that the importance of Bitcoin versus everything else uh, and why Bitcoin is superior to them. And people are like, oh, they're toxic, they're mean. It's like, no, we were trying to warn people for, for years, literally, on this. And, you know, you know, the, the internet never forgets. So a lot of tweets were pulled up of people basically shilling their own bags of saying how great Solana is or I'm in it for the tech or, you know, I don't even need to go down the laundry list of things that they say. But it's like 
no, like this is the difference between the two. It's exactly, you know, they're trying to go with the ethos of Silicon Valley, go fast and break things. And Bitcoin's like, no, we want to go super slow and break absolutely nothing. That's what makes a better money. Well I, of, I was going to say real quick, I had a lot of friends that lost like between 10 and 50 grand on Celsius and different because it's, you know, it's basically had Bitcoin there, but I kind of sent them like an essay and I was like, look, there's a ton of early Bitcoiners who are super rich now that lost a fuck ton on Mt. Gox, but they didn't give up. And like all that matters now is, you know, you know enough about the thing to know you should own it. Now you really know how fucking important owning the private keys are. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to sit there and mope? Or are you going to like set up a real setup, learn how the wallets work, do a multi-sig and like start stacking? And um, I hope, I'm sure a lot of people will be so angry that they can't move forward. But those that can are really the ones that end up creating wealth, you know? Yeah, this is one of the things that makes shitcoins so harmful, though, is like that lost opportunity cost. Not only are you wrecked, but when you could have just been in Bitcoin and then now it's like you're wrecked in this thing. You got to get that money back just to even be able to get back to the table. But then Bitcoin potentially could be at a totally different spot than than where you were before. But we talked about it yesterday a little bit. And there was like there was some space going on, lots of people in it. And there was some like kind of sad things to hear, like this copium bit. But there was like some people were talking about, you know, rolling back, like potentially like a, a, a Solana classic. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, other people were talking about I saw some post about somebody was like hacking with the wallets or the affected wallets somehow i didn't read it too deeply but it was you know the other people around that were like you know what a king what a legend you know like saving everybody because they're hacking these wallets like it's very sad very very sad i think actually what's more sad is some of these people who are victimized by all this they still they see this train wreck but they're going to be the first ones to argue with you and tell you that oh, this, this is better than Bitcoin and is going to flip Bitcoin. Like we just sit around and wait and wait for the magic to happen. It's like, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't understand. I, I really don't get it sometimes. It just, it just blows my mind. Yeah, I put out a little tweet yesterday, like a little joke. I wasn't trying to hurt anybody who lost money. I was just put out a tweet and it was like, you know, what's the, you want to hear a joke about Solana? And then the answer was like, the joke is Solana. And, you know, there was some people that came on that were from, you know, obviously like bag holders or fans or whatever, but they were like, you know, commenting that, oh, price hasn't even moved at all. Like, wow, isn't that funny? Like, whatever. And like, you're looking at the total wrong metric on this shit. I know my hand wasn't up first, but uh, I just a quick statement. In 100 years, legends will be told about, uh, stories will be told about the legend Bitcoin maximalists that could see the future, that those people who would talk about it are getting to live and they will thank us for our service. So, I mean, I, I think part of the reason why there's still such, you know, so much hopium and shit coins is because there just hasn't been enough cycles to beat them into the ground yet. So, Many of these shit coins have, have literally not even been around for a whole cycle, right? Even Ethereum's only been around for like two and a half. Um, so like, I don't know. There, there, there's there's just too much hopium around. And, and I think it'll just, it will take a cycle or two more, maybe even more, maybe three, before 
these people kind of realize that these shit coins are undoubtedly going to zero in terms of Bitcoin, right? Like it's just a, it's a, all it's, it's going to take wicked is the SEC diminishing returns. All it's going to take is the SEC to declare these things fucking unregulated securities. Well, but not even that, like the SEC or with the SEC or not, right? Because we've already seen this play out with shit coins that have been around for longer than a few cycles, like Litecoin or, you know, um, fucking uh, XRP or like whatever, these other shit coins. If they've been around for longer than a few cycles, it's it's the same story. It's like you get a little pump during the hype, but then you go back down and and you trend towards zero long term. And I think that this is kind of what's going to play out over time with every other shit coin. It just takes time for people to realize that that's what's happening. All right, we're going to shuffle the stage around a little bit. If we remove you, it's not personal. We still love you guys. We're um, we've got Galoy. Coming up here in a couple of moments, we're going to be talking to them about what they've got going on recently. So we're going to get that done. As we're moving speakers around on the stage, um, love to get an ep- update from Jeff. What's going on, Jeff? Hey, Alex. Morning, everybody. Hope you all are doing well. Um, update, uh, you talking like macro? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, like what's going on in your life, man? Like I haven't seen you in a little <laughs> bit and I'm wondering. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Um, by uh, good, August is a big month for us. Our kids start going back to school. So, uh, it's, it's uh, bittersweet, but it's been a great summer so far. Uh, macro wise, I, I mean, I don't know. Do you really want to hear me? I, I'm, I'm, I, I really do. I really do. I want to know what's <laughs> going on. I want to know what's going on in that, in that <laughs> Dr. Bear. I think, um, I think people think a pivot happened and I completely disagree. I think, uh, we're headed to a, an actual global recession. That's going to be absolutely terrible for the next, uh, several quarters. And uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better. So, um, and this is, by the way, I think Bitcoin is holding up well. And I and I don't know that I'm I'm not overly bearish on Bitcoin price action in the short term. I am bearish uh, on equities. I think uh, stocks have much further to fall. Um, I think uh, what interest rates are telling us right now, um, the Fed has come out and basically retracted the the comments that uh, Powell said the the other day. Um, a lot of people took that as sort of a dovish tilt. And I think that um, the, the, the Fed officials came out yesterday and basically retracted all of that and said, no, inflation is still a problem. No, we're still hawkish. And the two-year bond yields believe it. So basically, bond yields have risen substantially. And now they're actually pricing in at least another 50 basis point hike in September, if not a 75 bips uh, uh, hike. So um, anyways, if, if people are planning on the Fed saving them and, and tilting dovish to uh, uh, put the bull market back and risk on assets, I think um, uh, they're in for an unfortunate surprise. Um, and I think that this is just a typical bear market rally and it's going to end soon and then it's going to head back down again. So anyways, great time to be stacking sats. Uh, I, I, like, I like the idea of shorting equities and stacking sats. It's a, it's a good combo. Are you are you uh, defining recession in the traditional way, or are you using the new definition of recession? <laughs> the new the new recession. I think uh, clearly, if it's based on historical precedent, what's going to happen is somewhere down the road, the NBER National Bureau of Economic Research is going to declare that, oh yes, we were in a recession. And I think the recession, as as most people assume, started basically at the beginning of the year. Uh, they, they keep talking about hot, uh, you know, employment that needs to be cooled off. 
And uh, those numbers are coming in fast and they're, and they're all on the downside. And so we're going to see a very rapid decompensation uh, across all economic metrics basically in the next uh, couple of months. And people are going to realize like, oh, dang, this is serious. And we're slowing down really, really fast. And not just in the U.S., but basically around the world. It's kind of a global coordinated recession and it's, it's going to get ugly. Yeah, you, you know, I, I appreciate you, Jeff, because you tell it straight. I, I believe that, um, well, I'll just say that there's not a lot of people who call it like you do um, for fear of, I don't know, I don't know if people don't like being the, the bearer of bad news or whatever, but um, there are certain people that I, you know, over time I've paid attention to. I, I like your calls, Jeff. Also, I've noticed that, um, here, here's an example. Jim Rogers, this is guy. This guy's a really old school um, money manager. He uh, co-founded Quantum Fund with with Soros. Don't hold that against him. He's actually a really nice guy. But um, man, he's saying that he believes the worst bear market in his lifetime is around the corner. Like uh, he's talking stocks going down like ninety percent. So what's amazing? It's going to get that bad, but dang. What's amazing, Alex, is I don't disagree with him. I think it's very possible that we have the worst bear market we've ever seen, and I definitely think this is going on longer than most people think. I still think recency bias is real for most people, and most people are remembering the fourth quarter of 2018, and even more, they're remembering the COVID dip, uh, where we had that flash crash, basically, and that V-shaped recovery. I just absolutely don't think that's what's going to happen this time. We came from like historical highs in valuations of most equities. Price-to-sales ratios are basically off the charts. Uh, there's, there's just tons of leverage, tons of garbage, tons of speculation that still have to get worked out. And I would argue that we're only just at the beginning of that. We still have a lot more you know, slack, basically, to work out. And then on top of all of this, the central banks are, are all tightening uh, into this. So it's, it's definitely not going to get better anytime soon. That's my take. Uh, it just, it just remains a fantastic year to be stacking sats. And, uh, you know, like, like I keep saying, like, you know, stay hedge kids. I say that sort of tongue in cheek. It's not investment advice. Um, but it could get much uglier before it gets better. So just kind of be mentally prepared for that. So I just want to, I just want to add to, to people who are listening that Dr. Jeff is a, a professional and people who are professional asset managers only have to get only have to be right 60% of the time to be successful asset managers. So not to say that what he's saying is wrong. I just I, just, I think we need to we need to frame this. And when Dr. in in and correct me if I'm wrong Dr. Jeff, but when he starts talking about hey, stack sats, this is, you know, just keep stacking sats, this is a great environment, that is the that is the personal um, position that he has for his own his own finances and his own kind of personal perspective, um, and it may meld with his professional perspective. But he's kind of talking about two separate things here, and it, sometimes it's hard to differentiate that when you're ta- when you're listening to somebody who is a professional. Yeah, and also time horizon and your overall makeup matters, right? Like, there's no one size fits all when it comes to this kind of stuff. If you are retired and you have a certain amount of money that you're relying upon to carry you through um, for the rest of your time here, well, you know, you don't want to probably take 100% of that and put it into something that is historically pretty volatile. 
right? I mean, if you need to rely on something, um, and then it's, I mean, the other thing is long-term is, is, is super, super important, right? That's, that's the thing to understand about, 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 about Bitcoin. This is that you probably want to stick around for more than four or five, hopefully 10 years and, and look at it then. But yeah, I know there's a lot of people that like, if you, if you're in that retirement age and you come and you put a hundred percent of your portfolio into something and it corrects hard, man, that's gotta be pretty damn brutal. So quick question for Dr. Jeff, and then I gotta, I gotta hop off for a fiat call, but, um, do you, I mean, so in, in your personal opinion, do you feel like the Fed is trying to fuck shit up? Yes. But like, <laughs> let me be, uh, <laughs> let me be more specific. Obviously they're trying to destroy value, right? Like they're, they're actively trying to do that. But do you think they're trying to break the system? Like, are they trying to break it so that we enter a recession or a depression? Well, I'll let you well, I think they absolutely know they're causing a recession. They, they're they're kind of skirting around it every time it gets asked. They, they don't want a depression. Um, I, I think so. What I think is going on, is, you know, they talk about the supply and demand side of the equation. As most people know, the Fed can't control the supply side. So what they do when they think that su- the demand is too high for the given supply, they try to destroy demand, right? So they have these little tactics that they do where they raise rates and, and do things like that. And they try to drain liquidity from the system. The downside of all this that nobody ever talks about is the reason we're in this predicament is because the supply side is so crappy. We still have never really recovered. Like we basically haven't recovered since the great financial crisis back in 07, 08. And we've been like petering along, you know, limping along, trying to progress, but haven't really. And then along came COVID and they just crushed us, like literally just crushed the world uh, with their response to COVID and just shutting everything down and crushing supply chains and destroying businesses and destroying families' uh, livelihoods. And then, and then they, and then when it, and things start to recover a bit, they say, well, demand is too high. And it's like, demand isn't the problem, but that's how they're tackling the problem is by destroying this demand. So I think it's a terrible approach to what they're doing. I think they absolutely know that they're going to put us into a recession. I think when you look at what's coming, we see this massively slowing economy, not just again, not just in the U.S., but around the world. And then on top of that, they're tightening uh, in their efforts to fight inflation uh, we're in a world of hurt. Like this is a crappy world. And that's why to Alex's point earlier, that's why Jim Rogers thinks this could be the worst bear market we've ever seen. Uh, I think we're going to have sticky high inflation. We're going to have just crazy amounts of volatility. Uh, and the Fed is going to be sort of off and on tightening throughout this, trying to quote, fight inflation by destroying demand, which means destroying businesses and wrecking people's lives and, and doing tons of wealth destruction. So it's just going to be a super ugly decade, I think. Uh, and there aren't many places to hide from it, which is really unfortunate. And even Bitcoin, as long as Bitcoin still gets treated like a risk asset, most of the market participants still think of Bitcoin as like a tech stock. I was on a show just the other, just yesterday. Uh, it's like this Bitcoin slash crypto show and tech show. Uh, and I was trying to just, yeah, again, I do this all the time. I'm trying to say, you guys, Bitcoin has nothing to do with crypto. Crypto is venture capital that's awkwardly glued to a blockchain 
blockchain. It's it's like a little they're little tech platforms that are you know centralized and non secure. Look look at Solana. Bitcoin is just simply better money, right? It does a couple things extremely well. It's it's decentralized, it's secure, it's apolitical. It's just great money. So it has nothing to do with these other things. But the market still does not yet understand that. So it still gets dragged down uh, during these tumultuous times. So, anyways, I'm I'm I don't mean to go off, but yeah, I'm I'm not optimistic <laughs> in the coming months. All right. I appreciate you uh, sharing your thoughts, though. Uh, we've got Shane and Dee. Uh, I do want to talk to Galoy Money. We've got Nick Birdie up here. Good morning, Nick. Uh, we've got Andrew. Good morning, Andrew. And we've got El Flaco. I love that handle. <laughs> Good morning. Hello. Um, all right. Let's hit these questions real quick, and then we will do um, – well, we'll just roll in with Galoy. We're – we haven't done announcements yet, but these guys were, we were supposed to be talking to these guys 10 minutes ago. So uh, Shane, be quick. Yeah, just real quick, Dr. Jeff. I'm curious if you, with, with equities potentially going considerably down, do you expect a lot of uh, corporations to do more stock buybacks? Uh, no, they should do stock buybacks, but what happens is corporations never prepare. They're just like people. So they don't have this huge stockpile of cash just waiting to buy back their stock on the cheap they're going to go into to preservation mode. And so instead of buying back, they're probably going to cut their dividends. They're not going to uh, buy back stock uh, like they should, and they're just going to try to survive. Uh, so I just, I expect that to get uh, worse before it gets better as well. Hey, uh, Jeff, we, um, the, the Fed was mentioning something about being data-driven, and I think a lot of people saw that as quote-unquote dovish. Well, I was just wondering what your thoughts were on that quickly before we move on. I think um, that the, the market interpreted it as such, and, and as we saw yesterday, I don't know how much you paid attention, but like three or four Fed officials came out yesterday and basically said, we are not dovish. The markets have misinterpreted this. We need to be not only hawkish, but more hawkish than we've been. And I think the bond markets believe them, by the way, the two years have ripped higher since then. And that means that they're pricing in uh, another significant rate hike. So right now, now the two years at 3.16%. Um, so if you look at the federal funds rate, which has which is a, a topped out at 2.5 right now, they're expecting at least a 50 bips uh, rate hike at the next meeting and possibly a 75 bips rate hike, uh, at least before the end of the year. And so there's more rate hikes to come. I don't think they pivoted. Uh, and I think once the market realizes this and once the market gets off its obsession with inflation and starts focusing on the economy, we're going to realize that we're heading into a global recession and it's going to be ugly. And I think the markets are going to respond in kind and it's not going to be to the upside. Gotcha. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. All righty, then let's pivot here. <laughs> we're going to pivot. We don't know if the Fed's pivoting, but we're pivoting. Uh, Nick and Andrew and El Flaco. Good morning. Talk to us about the latest with Galoy. By the way, I will preface this really quick. Uh, I guess you guys just did a big raise. $4 million for um, banking platform. Galoy raises $4 million for Bitcoin-backed synthetic dollar. Galoy, the company behind the open source banking platform that powers El Salvador's Bitcoin Beach Wallet, started offering its StableSats product Wednesday. So I'm sure you guys probably want to talk a little bit about that. What else is going on in your world? What's up? Yeah. Uh, thanks for having us back. Uh, I'm Andrew. I'm working in the non-technical team at Galloway, so marketing, community engagement, things like this. And uh, yeah, I was on a few months back. Um, you know, we did a little bit more of the, uh, maybe the Galloway deep dive, the history and, and everything like that. As you mentioned, the Bitcoin Beach Wallet is built on the Galloway Money Platform. Also the Galloway, uh, or sorry, the uh, Bitcoin Jungle app in Costa Rica 
um, and they soon to be released a wallet called Guat in Panama. Um, and so, yep, we build a Bitcoin native banking infrastructure uh, that allows organizations to uh, to offer Bitcoin products. And we say, you know, Bitcoin native, it's it's you know Bitcoin only, um, and adhering to sort of the the principles of Bitcoin. And so. Um, the, the latest announcement today, we're really excited about, we've been talking conceptually about bringing USD to the lightning network for, uh, for months now, but really, um, you know, turned that into a sort of an offering and an announcement and have, um, you know, with the site stablesats.com, um, really tried to, uh, you know, describe the, what, the why and the how, um, behind, uh, you know, bringing USD on the lightning network. Um, and, you know, I'll just maybe kick it off briefly with a little bit of sort of why, why stable sats. Uh, and I'd love to have Kemal, uh, who is under El Flacco there, um, uh, explain a little bit of the mechanics. And so essentially, um, we all talk about, you know, Bitcoin circular economies and, you know, um, you know building uh, Bitcoin communities. And, and one of the things that, that uh, one of the problems that exists for people in uh, Bitcoin circular economy is the, the short-term uh, price volatility or uh, the exchange rate volatility of Bitcoin, right? So if you are accepting Bitcoin for goods and services, but you have to pay uh, your suppliers or, or your obligations in dollars, um, there's friction there. And, and today, um, you know, you need a bank account, you need an ATM, um, people use stable coins, um, but but any of those options provide some, some type of friction. And so StableSats uh, brings uh, USD into the Lightning Wallet. Um, using uh, what's called synthetic USD. And, and again, on stablesats.com, we have an explainer video that like, I think even for you know, non-technical, non-investor you know, in, uh, individuals, it, it kind of breaks it down how that works. Um, and, and the net net is that um, now um, you know, it's in beta uh, on Bitcoin Beach Wallet, um, but you can uh, create a lightning invoice and the, uh, the, the sats will come in uh, and land in a USD account that will not fluctuate with the Bitcoin exchange rate. Um, so if you're in this uh, Bitcoin economy, you now have a, a Bitcoin wallet and a USD wallet, um, and the USD wallet will stay um, uh, you know, uh, stable, as we say, um, where uh, so that if you have your short-term um, dollar obligations, um, you're not worrying about that short-term volatility. So um, really excited about it. And um, uh, Kamal, I'll, I'll turn it over to Kamal next to explain a little bit more about what he's excited about and, and a little bit about how it works. Yeah. Hi, guys. I'm Kamal from Galois. I always have to cringe a little bit when someone says like USD and stable because like it depends on like your viewpoint, of course, right? Like um, obviously like the USD is perceived as stable because like most of the prices are denominated in dollars and and not in the uh, in sats yet. Um, so we're living in that uh, early period where that's not the case yet. And probably it will take a little bit of time until until we get to a point where people start to denominate in sats, like uh, probably the market cap Bitcoin needs to grow a little bit more. And um, until that volatility fades out, at least that's what smart people uh, who can uh, look into the future keep telling. Um, so yeah, this feature, uh, as Andrew said, like uh, gives the optionality to users to lock a certain amount of their holdings in as dollars and and hold that and um, have their short-term obligations like stuff that's coming up they need to pay, uh, like uh, the rent, like the groceries, like 
I don't know, uh, a laptop purchase that they have planned. Um, and um, and uh, keep put that aside uh, in the uh, currency that those items are denominated in, mostly the dollar, as I said, and, um, and separate that basically from the BTC holdings, but still be able to transact uh, that basically dollar uh, account, checking account uh, money over the Lightning Network and have it really interoperable with everyone who uses Bitcoin and accepts Bitcoin. And, um, and that's really like uh, what this feature is without having a legacy bank integration, without having a fiat integration, without using any other new asset or token uh, like stable coins uh, or ERC20 tokens or whatever is out there. It's just, it's just SATs. Um, and the way that works is, um, as Andrew said, like we have this nice uh, site uh, build up. It's called stablesats.com. And you can find an, a video uh, about explaining how it works. But briefly, um, when the user uh, chooses to hold their money in, in dollars, they basically give up their upside um, on Bitcoin. Right, uh, and also like the downside. So the value is locked in, and in that moment, the Bitcoin banks has a dealer bot that is acting on a derivatives exchange on a contract called perpetual inverse swap, and opening a short position um, for um, equivalent to the holdings of the user that he wants to hold in the dollar account. So when the Bitcoin price moves up, that position makes a loss. And, and when the Bitcoin price exchange rate goes down, that position makes a, uh, a profit. And um, that profit and loss basically cancels out um, because uh, w with the USD account. And, and that's basically how it works and how the bank, how a Bitcoin bank can provide the service to their users without uh, making a loss, which would not be sustainable. And, and yeah, I recommend you check out that video where our engineer Samer did a great job of uh, going a little bit into how it works. Yeah, and I think um, you know uh, it, it's been it's been awesome this morning. I mean, you'll, you'll see. I think uh, somebody Jacob may have posted in the nest. Uh, uh, Nancy also wrote about it a little bit as well. Um, a couple articles out there and. Um, uh, you know, the ability for people that are, I mean, now people can live on Bitcoin, um, not touch stable coins, not touch the fiat banking system. So, um, you know, people, people, as we know, um, people in a lot of these communities, billions of people around the world don't have bank accounts. So their, so their ability um, to, to hold something that, that uh, doesn't have short-term volatility is limited. Um, so this really brings that um, into, I mean, right into their Lightning Wallet, right? Um, makes it extremely easy on, a, on sort of a day-to-day -day basis to say, okay, you know what? Um, I need to pay rent in like, you know, 10 days. Um, and I need that, to, that, that, that value to stay stable between now and then. And so this provides that uh, optionality. It doesn't, it doesn't replace, um, you know, the idea that, you know, anything that is going to be for savings or for any sort of long-term holding should be in SATs, should be in cold storage, et cetera. But this provides uh, sort of a, a better option, a better Bitcoin native option uh, for people that uh, want protection from that volatility. So... Um, I'll, I'll, if there's any questions, uh, feel free to, to ask. And otherwise, I would invite Nicholas maybe to talk because this is really um, sort of V1 and there's a, a bit of a vision in terms of where this goes next. And so I'd invite Nicholas to maybe uh, speak a little bit uh, about that. 
Yes, sure. So currently, the main idea is that it works with a gallery money stacks. And so we have this uh, on our GitHub. So if you go to github.com slash gallery money, we have a list of different repositories. The repository is a code that is responsible to create the uh, stable sets. Uh, we have a V1 that is called the dealer. It's a, it's a trading bot that is acting as a dealer. Uh, we're making a new version of this bot, which is, I guess it will be the, the V2, it will be written in Rust. And the main goal with this new dealer is also that it will get easier to be integrated with other wallets so that if probably at start other custodial wallets want to have this feature, they will be able to do so. It's also eventually something that uh, non-custodial wallet could be able to do. Um, like the way it would work is, okay, I will need to open an account at a derivative exchange, but then it's only me. Uh, maybe if I want to get $10,000, like in, in table sets, I would have my own position on an exchange. And I would have, maybe I would be short on that contract. Each contract will be worth $100. And this is how I will create my, my stable sets on my own. Uh, so this is where the vision is to allow any wallet to use this product in the future. Um, I, I think the market for this is really not necessarily the US because in the US, I guess a lot of people have bank account and there is no such issue with you know payment. Uh, this product is really tailored towards a developing country, you not know, a global source. Like El Salvador is a great, I guess, uh, places to get started and experiment. But we think in uh, whether it's in Latin or in Africa, there is a uh, uh, this will serve a need like of people who want to use Lightning because it's it's free to send money or it's very low fee, it's instant, like it's 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 a the best payment system you have. But of course, people in this country cannot afford the volatility, and we we're really trying to with this feature help more Lightning adoption without um, having the user getting subject to the volatility of, of Bitcoin. All right, cool. Uh, why don't we open it up a little bit? Anybody on stage who wants to ask a question? Go ahead. I, I got a question. So I'm curious, can this be used here in the United States? Is this only, you know, in these very specific places where you're deploying it? I'm just curious what the use cases are possibly in the, in the U.S. here or in North America. I mean, the, so the, this... Uh... I guess the way we create the synthetic USD is with derivative contract. And so in the United States, this type of contract will be regulated by the CFTC. I have I have not a strong opinion whether if this were to be deployed in the US, like CFTC will approve this or not. Um, but I, at least on my end, I, I don't see that as a, a benefits in the United States. There is another way to have USD or Lightning, which is what Strike is doing, which is like instead of having a synthetic USD, you have like physical USD in a bank account. And when you want to send and receive a payment over Lightning, it's just, you know, it's taking out from your, you know, your bank account. And if you have a bank account, you know, that works great. But the idea of synthetic USD is really beneficial when you have no bank account. 
And if you I mean, place, I, did, I don't mean to interrupt, but there are unbanked people in the United States as well. I know it's not near as bad as it is in other parts of the world, but there are unbanked, you know, people here in the United States. True, true, true. And and, and I mean, it, it it could be possible to do it in the United States. We don't know if the regulatory, you know, agency will, you know, allow this to be launched in the U.S. Right? Uh, it's a question I, I don't have the answer. Um, but at least in places like El Salvador, you know, like it's um, uh, this is the type of thing that you can launch. Um, uh, at least this is where we are experimenting today and, and, and launching the product. So um, I have a question in regards. So okay, let's see. I, I read through um, the the process by which this stability is created, and uh, you know, right up front, I'm going to say I think this is a great option for people who cannot afford the current volatility um, of Bitcoin um, as a as a savings platform, um, but. I'm also financially literate, and I'm able to look at what you guys are doing and understand the risks that are involved with um, Bitcoin that I'm no longer self-custodying in, in this kind of, of um, protocol. And what I'm wondering is, um, because when, 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 I, when I first read through, of course, all I saw was, hey, my value is safe. That's and, 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 you know, my understanding just stopped there until I went, OK, let's look at this a little deeper. So my question is, um, how do you propose to um, ensure or, or attempt to ensure that individuals who start using this platform understand that there is a risk um, to their uh, their Bitcoin holding that is uh, is no longer uh, self custody. Um, I, I don't know how, how familiar you are with um, the Gallo Money Open Source software or with the Bitcoin Beach Wallet. Um, so um, maybe a little bit of context uh, that I may add here uh, that's relevant because um, in the, the Gallo Money um, and, and um, Open Source stack. Um, the model that is used is not self-custodial. It is a shared custody model where the majority of the funds of the community are held in a multi-sig quorum by uh, members of the community in Bitcoin Beach, right? So that is a trade-off that uh, on the security side that is being made that is different from self-custody, right? And, but it's also different from a, a purely custodial setup with a single point of failure. So it's uh, in between. Um, we think it's a reasonable uh, trade-off to make um, because uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, the people in um, El Salvador and many other places like developing markets, um, for them it's... Um, yeah, well, they, they need Bitcoin and they need Lightning, but they might not have, have had um, the technical expertise or the means um, to actually be self-custodial uh, right away. Um, so um, oftentimes, uh, like there is, uh, it's not possible to uh, secure a seat properly. Um, so that's where it already starts. Uh, some people are literate. They can't even 
like they can memorize their phone number or their email address maybe to log in. Um, but um, anything that goes beyond that maybe uh, would be too much. Um, so those are like very different conditions and environments from, I would say, like Europe or United States, Germany. So that needs to be taken into account. Also, one thing that needs to be taken into account is the cost of management of a lightning node, um, like opening channels, closing channels. Again, these people in developing countries, they in some places live like uh, on one dollar per day, for example, if you think of like Central African Republic. Um, so obviously like that's like one of the poorest countries in the world, but uh, like Bitcoin needs to work for them as well, right? And uh, with the current limitations that we have, like onboarding 8 billion people to Lightning is, uh, yeah, it's, the only way to do that with the technology that we have is um, doing some trade-offs. Um, and one tr smart trade-off to make is like the concept of second-party custody that now coincidentally also Fediment is pursuing, right? That has been, uh, that has announced just recently. And, um, and that's the way to actually, with the current constraints that we have, uh, without any, like I'm sure there's gonna be like Bitcoin developers are ingenious and there's going to be like developments coming, but with the constraints that we have right now, like Bitcoin banks are actually the only way that we could scale to Bitcoin to a global money that can serve 8 billion people. And, um, and with that being said, um, I think, um, yes, like if you have Bitcoin, um, that's the best asset. Uh, like nothing compares to it, especially if you can hold it uh, self-custodially uh, in a multi-six setup, ideally, right? Now that's the best. You can't do that with fiat. So if you, when you like stabilize Bitcoin or sets, uh, if you will, and tame it to behave like a dollar, um, what we are attempting here, then some of the magical powers of uh, sets wears off or of Bitcoin wears off. You can't hold fiat in a multi-sig, for example, right? You can't hold it in a cold storage. Um, and uh, you can't, uh, well, you, you, you can't still send it over lightning. So that's the magic uh, that, that we did here with a um, der derivative contract, but um, not all of the uh, excellent properties uh, of Bitcoin um, can be transported into, into this new um, emulated fiat uh, vehicle, basically. That, that we are offering. So I hope that uh, answers it. I don't know if someone else wants to add a little bit more. Yeah, I, I, would, I would just echo um, the, the bit Kamal said about sort of the, the problem that we're trying to solve um, is, you know, for people who are like, what you've seen with Bitcoin Beach Wallet is that it is a, uh, excellent tool for onboarding people to Bitcoin in a simple way, like this educational, um, there's a earn section where you can like learn about Bitcoin. Um, and uh, just one other bit to answer the question as well, in terms of like letting people know about the risks is one of the things that we're working on is some uh, uh, UX enhancements and making sure that like, we're, we're not just like bringing people into Bitcoin, but we're teaching people about Bitcoin and uh, in this case uh, about stable stats, right? So, um, that that's part of the sort of the educational and the UX uh, element as well.
Yeah, maybe one thing that I want to add um, is also like, um, like Andrew said, this is like for onboarding, right? Like ideally, like you, uh, in, you know how to handle the exchange rate volatility and how to indulge in it and, and you have reserves and you know to stack the bottom and BCA and, but uh, yeah, not, like uh, not everyone is in that position already. Um, so um, offering convenience, trading it off with a reasonable security, um, setup is uh, the way to go and it works well in El Salvador with people who are not um, overly technical uh, or have not spent a lot of time uh, digging into it. But um, onboarding it to the system and um, like we do want people to um, progress to self-custody. That's why we're also working, for example, with seed signer. Um, to have an integration. So it's very early stages yet, but the idea is to actually have a watch-only wallet um, um, in the future in the Bitcoin Beach wallet app as well, uh, where people actually can move their funds into a um, first single SIG. I don't know where like that's the first goal, <laughs> maybe multi-SIG later, but a, uh, uh, an on-chain uh, cold storage where only they control and they don't even have to trust uh, the community bank anymore or the quorum. Um, so that's definitely something that people, that we're encouraging people to progress along. Um, but for onboarding purposes, uh, like this um, strategy of uh, uh, shared custody has worked pretty well in Bitcoin Beach. I'm also interested to see the role that this plays uh, in, in adoption, right? Because now you can, uh, I, I was talking to Kamal earlier saying like, we're, we're going to move from saying, do you accept Bitcoin if you're going to buy a pupusa to, can you create a lightning invoice, right? Like you don't actually, if you don't choose, if you're early on your journey or you need um, uh, to hold, uh, you know, some funds uh, in, in dollars, you could actually do that. You could create a lightning invoice and receive that into, into dollars. And so I'm thinking from a, um, like a merchant adoption perspective, um, it answers one of the questions, which is, well, why do I want to receive something? Again, this is for a no-coiner and a newbie. Like, why do I want to receive something that I, I don't know how much it will be worth in my sort of my day-to-day -day, uh, currency? And so in this way, it would be like, well, you can actually receive to your USD account. You can decide how much to hold in sats, how much to hold in dollars. Um, the sats, uh, the example that we provide in the video is, you know, if you have, 600 sats in your uh, in your bitcoin account and 120 dollars in your usd account when the price is 30 you have 600 sats and 120 dollars when the price is 60k you have 600 thousand uh, sats and, and 120 dollars and then when the price is 15k you have the same thing so you so you actually have that optionality Yeah, so I was right, just wondering, so. or if you, well, I was just wondering. Um, I was looking at some of the the equity people that you guys uh, had was like Time Chain, El Zante Capital, Kingsway Capital, Tremble Venture Partners. Shout out to you guys. Um, and just what is it like finding funding for these projects now that, um, like, what was that like? Did is it easier than it used to be, or what? What's kind of um, your experience? Um, I, I think it's still a. It's still not straightforward for Bitcoin company to raise money, at least if you compare to, you know, the crypto, quote unquote, you know, crypto industry where 
similar project will raise probably 10 times more. Um, I, you know, but what I can say is, uh, you know, when I started Gallery about three years ago, there was no VC in the space uh, that was really focused on Bitcoin, maybe one or two, but uh, it was really, there were quite a bit of crypto VC at the time, but no dedicated Bitcoin VC. No, it's completely changed. I think there may be five, six, seven VCs that are focused on Bitcoin. And this is really um, great uh, to see this development, you know, more and more, I guess, focused on, on Bitcoin. And I know we're at a stage where the Bitcoin industry is large enough where like you can have this VC only focused on Bitcoin. There's a lot of Bitcoin companies that are getting started and, you know, they're getting traction and, and you know, they was getting funded. So, you know, the space, the Bitcoin industry has matured enough, like you, you can have 10 Bitcoin VC and, and, and it works, right, which is great. But it's still, if we compare with the crypto industry, there is still, I don't know, maybe 1% of the funding and you know, 2% of the funding that the crypto industry sees, which is not great. I think it's a lot of misallocation of capital still, you know, not as bad as some years ago, you know, it's getting much better as there is more, uh, you know, signal uh, going on. Uh, but yeah, we still have a, a long way to go. Uh, you know, something we discussed internally this morning on the team is, uh, I think the, for instance, the New York Times article that Corey did is, is, is awesome for the space, right? It's really a help to separate you know, like crypto and Bitcoin are different things. They're almost opposite, right? Um, um, so, yeah, ho hopefully there will be more capital coming to, to the Bitcoin space. So it's like better for Bitcoin companies, easier to raise. Um, what I see right now is there is a lot of uh, early stage PC that are in the space. What we probably need is more like series A, B, C plus like more growth stage. Um, dedicated to Bitcoin, I don't think the space has this yet, you know, like think about the beyond dollar fund um, that are in the crypto space, you know, uh, there is no equivalent to that in the Bitcoin space. And I think that is what we're lacking. And that is something I would love to see definitively. I mentioned one other thing regarding um, that yeah, shout out to TBP, see Matt there, um, and uh, uh, you know Chris Calicott recently. I think it was on Cafe Bitcoin when he was talking about like why and what what they invest in and why and and it was um, you know in companies that are building toward a Bitcoin standard, right? Uh, you know, building Bitcoin native uh, solutions. Um, and at Galloway, you know, one thing. This is a bit of a rabbit hole, maybe for a future <laughs> for, for a future discussion, but. Um, you know, the Galloway uh, stack enables uh, sovereignty really at an organizational level. Um, and so, you know, uh, the, the sovereign individual is, is, is key um, and, and you know, uh, self-custody is key. Um, also, if you level that out a little bit to think about cities or companies that want to reduce reliance uh, wherever they are in the world on the traditional, the traditional banking system, um, the Galloway stack is, is a way to do that by launching uh, launching their own uh, Bitcoin bank, and so um, just really appreciative to uh, to the uh, investors in Galloway that that kind of see this future as well, and and um, you know support the uh, development towards it. We see it as really, I mean, we're trying to build a bridge toward uh, you know the Bitcoin standard with with a lot of these solutions.
Damn, Andrew, that's fire. I was just thinking about that sitting on the boat. I'm like, man, I, I got a new role here. Real positive outlook. What's up, Raylan? Yo, what's happening? What's up with Big right, Boy Lake? I want to go there. Guatemala's looking good. <laughs> yeah, I've been curious about it, too. Um, all right, cool. So really appreciate you guys coming today and uh, talking about what's what's going on, the latest with you. Um, is there anything uh, you want to wrap up with? Any um, closing comments you want to make? Anything you want to plug? I, I think uh, we're hosting a conference in November, Adopting Bitcoin. Uh, 15 to 17 in uh, El Salvador and El Zonte. So if you're curious about Lightning, if you're curious about day-to-day -day adoption, uh, how it works, like, you know, buy your first coffee in Lightning if you have not done it yet. You know, it, it's really a magical experience. Uh, obviously, if you want to try stable sets, you know, right now and see people use it in the world, it will be a, a perfect places to, yeah, to see it in the world. So adopting Bitcoin, um, yeah, is a place to go to wrap up your lightning ledge and your lightning experience, I think. Yeah, you yeah, can I've follow been... Adopting Bitcoin on uh, Twitter, Adopting BTC is the account. And uh, to get more information about the conference, just head to adoptingbitcoin.org. And it's going to be on November 15th to 17th in San Salvador, El Salvador, and Bitcoin Beach with, uh, yeah, Bitcoin-only conference, focus on lightning, uh, two tracks, econ track, um, less technical topics, dev track, more technical topics, and a huge unconference where participants can actually set the agenda themselves and talk about the topics they want in focus workshops and sessions. And yeah, the third day is going to be at Bitcoin Beach in Alzante, where, yeah, the, the first, can we say, Bitcoin circular economy that inspired the adoption of Bitcoin in El Salvador, made it, made it legal, legal tender. And uh, yeah, gonna gonna chill out for the last day there and see how the people do it, and uh, and have a beer at the, at the Pacific, at the ocean, with a with a lot of Bitcoiners. Man, that sounds fantastic. I need to get down there personally. I've been planning on it for a little while now. Um, I hear it's just amazing. I know Raybon was down there not too long ago. I would uh, I would I would just sign off saying we're building you know open source software so find us on GitHub uh, chat.galloway.io all of us and and the rest of the team that you can you can see here in the space are accessible um, so if you're interested to you know build with or on or contribute to um, just just hop in um, let, let's let's do this yeah you gotta go to Dante now there's there's white people there and other people who aren't even that into Bitcoin like I got I, it was hilarious <laughs> to be in Zante there and be like yeah. You know what's going on? You know what's going on here? And like obviously there's Bitcoin signs everywhere. Like it's it's very obvious people are aware of it, but it's very funny. Like there's like uh this old surfer dude I'm talking to, and he's just like, I don't get it. You know, he's doing the typical Bitcoin thing about it. Like, I don't understand this internet thing. And I'm like, if only you knew, man, all these people online, like so curious about this place and what's going on here, and you're just like doubting it. It was so funny. But fucking go to Zante, it's awesome. Good throughout the country. Uh, it's awesome. That's what I'm saying. I want to go to Guatemala, the fucking Bitcoin Lake. That sounds like uh, a reason to go there, you know? Like, yeah, for sure. Let's hear about Bitcoin Lake. In fact, 
that's another featured guest we've got here today is uh, Rishi. I don't know if you're on the Bitcoin Lake handle, are you? That's right. Good morning, everybody. Hey, Alex. How's everybody doing? Hey, good morning, man. Thanks for coming. Uh, so tell us about uh, about Bitcoin Lake. I, I'm trying to remember. I don't think we've had you up here before. And First I'm time. super excited to hear more. First time. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Well, good morning, everybody. Let's talk Bitcoin Lake. So Bitcoin Lake in Guatemala, you've had a couple of guests. Um, I think Piero from Osmo also uh, launching a Guatemalan product as well. Um, Thanks for giving a spotlight there to all the Guatemalan efforts here. But lots happening here in Guatemala regarding Lightning Network, regarding Bitcoin adoption. You know, let's talk Bitcoin Lake. Bitcoin Lake is a is a nonprofit organization and community aiming to create a Bitcoin circular economy and Bitcoin funded social programs in Lake Atitlan, Guatemala. <clears throat> you know, on a, on a personal level, this is the, the story of of Bitcoin Lake is the story of how a shitcoiner became a Bitcoiner. You know, um, when I moved to Lake Atitlan. Two and a half years ago, you know, I noticed that there were a lot of expats here in the community. This is a very highly tourist area. It's a beautiful place. National Geographic actually called it the most beautiful lake in the world. It's wonderful. And you have a lot of expats that come here to to, to Guatemala, to Lake Atitlana, check it out. They fall in love with it and they just kind of stay here. And there were a lot of them who were interested in crypto. And I started a, a community here to discuss such topics. And about three months ago, this was around, this was early 2021. Um, three, three months into that community, uh, a couple of friends of mine from Ibex Mercado, big shout out there to Carlos and Jose, Carlos Torriello and Jose Lemus over at Ibex. Um, you know, they called me up and they said, hey, listen, you know, we got Peter McCormack over here. We're in El Salvador and we're kind of talking a little bit about what's going on in Guatemala. Is there any chance that you guys could host a meetup and he could come over and check out the scene? And I said, absolutely. You know, and I was really excited. I got I got into uh, crypto back in 2017 and I've been following him for quite some time. And so the idea of having him over here to check out what we were doing was really exciting. You know, we held the meetup and during that interview, we we actually kind of had a little a little scuffle there because we wanted to implement some sort of payment system here in the community, but we didn't know how to do it. We didn't know what was the right tool. We didn't know even what was the right coin. We didn't know. And so when we were in that uh, interview, he said, you got to go with Lightning Network. Like it's Bitcoin. Use Bitcoin, use Lightning Network. And I was a little jaded because the first time I got my hands on Lightning Network, it was, you know, it was clunky. You had to manually open channels. Like it didn't have a lot of uh, good UI. It was just, it was a whole weird experience. And I said, how am I going to onboard locals onto Lightning Network if it's still like this? And I'm Guatemalan. And, you know, the purpose for, for me in creating Bitcoin Lake is to help Guatemalans. You know, Guatemala is still a very, very poor country. And even in, in Lake Atitlan, there's such a strong disparity between, you know, the upper class that comes in or experts that come in and then the actual local community that's just going to be here forever. So he said, go and check out Lightning Network. And we were in that little scuffle. And he said, just go to El Sonte, go to Bitcoin Beach and go check it out. See it firsthand. See it for yourself. 
And so that's what we did. You know, we got a couple of members from the community and we went down to El Sonte. This was in early 2021. And when we got there, Christian from Hope House, you know, he received us and, you know, he talked about Bitcoin Beach and what it was. And one of the first things that he said was Bitcoin Beach was social programs and we're helping the community and we're also creating a Bitcoin circular economy. And when he said that, I just kind of got goosebumps. I was like, oh, my God, I think this is it. And when we were there, we loaded up our wallets and I was like, it was that it's this easy. You know, I was super, super surprised, you know, it's really, it's this easy. And he was like, yeah, that's it. That's all you got to do. And I was walking around town and I was buying, you know, my Coke with sats and I was um, buying my pupusas with sats. And I was like, this is, it just blew my mind. Like if anyone, like if no one has ever gone to a Bitcoin only community, you guys really need to go and live lightning network. Like it's just, it'll blow your mind. And that was my, that was the first time that I saw how easy it was, and you know I was still I like to play devil's advocate, and so I would kind of like approach a local, and I I speak fluent Spanish, obviously I'm Guatemalan, and you know I asked them I was like hey like, what about volatility? You know like you're accepting Bitcoin, so you know what do you do if it like goes down in price? And the answer that this lady gave me really changed changed the paradigm in my mind because I thought, oh, you know, this is actually difficult to understand. And her answer was, yeah, you know, it goes down sometimes, but mostly it goes up. It'll go up long-term. And so I just hold it. And I was like, wow, you know, um, you could talk to a lot of my friends. <laughs> You're probably a better investor than 90% of the people that I know. And that experience changed my life. And that's when, you know, I became a Bitcoiner. That's why I sold all my shit coins. And I said, this is it. And I, I became a Bitcoiner right there and then. And I took back the idea of a circular economy to the community here in Lake Atitlan. And I pitched it to them. And I said, you know what, during this, uh, during the interview we had with, with Peter and the conversations with, with Ibex, they're like, hey, Bitcoin Lake, like the name you know, I heard it for the first time. It like came up there. And I said, like, wow, that's like that. That's a pretty catchy name and sounds pretty good. And now that I actually know technically how this could work and what we need to do, because I lived it in El Sonte, I took I took it back to the community here in Lake Atitlan in San Marcos La Laguna. And I pitched it to them. You know, here in San Marcos, we're we're a very tight, conscious community. We love to do cacao ceremonies, you know, it's a very hippie area. I love it. And I pitched the idea and I said, this is, this is kind of what I want to do. I want to create Bitcoin Lake and it's going to be social programs funded by Bitcoin. It's going to be a Bitcoin only project. And they loved it. You know, they, 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 they welcomed it with open arms and that's how Bitcoin Lake was born. That's very cool. Yeah. I, I've um, had similar, well, started using um, Bitcoin myself to buy things. Like when I first started buying Bitcoin, I was thinking to myself, man, I'm never going to sell any of this. Well, at least not for a long, long, long time. And then yeah. uh, Tomer turn, turned me on the idea, onto the idea that you could orange pill people by tipping them in sets. So I started doing that. So I started teaching people how to install moon wallets everywhere I went, basically. I was like, hey, let me give you, you want to be tipped in Bitcoin. So, and then that just kind of naturally progressed into now I'm buying coffee from Bitcoin Cafe with it and T-shirts or, or hoodies from BitMegs and just, um, you know, 
as much as possible whenever I can, whenever I can, I'm doing it because I think that's a really important component to, uh, to this whole adoption thing is getting people to actually use it. So yeah. very cool. Add on to that a little bit because I, I really, I really feel like, like, like lightning network is for the countries that need it most. You know, I really, you know, I get, um, I get expats from all over the world here in Bitcoin Lake and they're like, like, why would I spend my Bitcoin? And those are the people who don't really get the use case of Bitcoin as money and how it's necessary here in such an unbanked population. You know, in Guatemala, 70% of the population is unbanked. And I, living here, I, I interact with people all the time. They don't have bank accounts. They don't even trust the banks. We don't even have a bank in our town. We have like an ATM that uh, barely works um, and they just increased their spread, by the way. Um, and uh, one of the biggest use cases that we have here is that we do have a Bitcoin ATM. Like once the, uh, the, the community started to grow, um, one of the members of the community brought a Lamazu Bitcoin ATM, which we have here at Bitcoin Lake. And, you know, we have a special 0% cash out fee for locals and then a 4.5% spread for everybody else. And people are just the, here's the use case, like ATMs not working. How do you get cash? You know, Bitcoin fixes this. And we have the ATM there for anybody that wants to turn it into fiat. We train all of the people here, all the locals, how to use the Bitcoin ATM, how to self-custody uh, our, our workshops. We have two different workshops. We have workshops for businesses and we have workshops also for users, which have different needs, you know. Um, the business is very interested in how to cash out from Bitcoin into fiat. And uh, we have an alliance and different ways of doing that. But we go into that in a little bit more detail. And, you know, since then, we have over 30 businesses accepting Bitcoin on the Lightning Network. Uh, we have a special program called the Bitcoin Workers Program. And uh, with the Bitcoin Workers Program, we have carpenters, mason workers, gardeners who are unbanked receiving their salary in Bitcoin. And we taught them how to self-custody and we taught them how to use the ATM and they're spending sats around town. And it's just amazing to see how, how this is changing people's lives. Like if anything, I really want the story of Bitcoin Lake to inspire um, that this is happening, you know, when, especially right now during the bear market where there's like people who having the Bitcoin blues um, it's like this is happening around the world. Like this is change. Bitcoin is changing people's lives. Um, we have people that are are being trained on it, and they're not. They're going to leapfrog from the financial system straight into Bitcoin, which happens a lot in third world countries. Like I'll have some people here who don't know how to use laptops. They don't know how to use a desktop, but they know how to use a smartphone. And I think that that's what's going to happen here. You know, they're just going to leapfrog the financial system altogether, and they're just going to be using Bitcoin, and that's all they're going to know. Crossing fingers. <laughs> yes, that's an interesting phenomenon how that's happened, right? It's happened in a lot of places around the world where people didn't necessarily have sort of the same experience as the first world with, with desktops and laptops and all that kind of stuff straight to cell phones, right? Or smartphones, mm -hmm. I should say. Uh, Peter. I'm, I'm very interested to, to hear what your uh, what it looked like to, to get people to self-custody so it uh, sounds like quickly and easily. Yeah, that's a... That's a great question. Thank you for asking. So our workshop looks like this. Um, we get users in and I've been talking about Bitcoin and before 
I was a Bitcoin or crypto as well. Um, and I was doing the wrong approach. I was doing a lot of theory and then I would go into a practical. Now the workshops look like this. It's about five, 10 minutes. What is Bitcoin? Bitcoin is money. Any questions? Kind of looks like that a little bit. And we're like, all right, everybody get your phones out, get their phones out. We connect them to the Wi-Fi. We download Moon Wallet, and we just guide them on the step-by-step. Like, okay, this is a pin. This is what it, what that means. Um, then we need you to back up this phrase that uh, Moon provides. So we give them a pen and we give them a piece of paper. And it's like right there on the spot before we do anything write it down, you know, and we explain that this is needed for them to recover their Bitcoin if they lose their phone. And we kind of talk about that, how your money doesn't live on the phone. Like that's not where it's at. Like your money lives on the blockchain and what you need to recover your money should something happen to your phone is this phrase. And I go, okay, cool. Right after we do that, then we do kind of like a daisy chain transaction, we give them some sats, we give them five quetzales worth of Bitcoin to everybody who participates. And for those of you who don't know, quetzales is a national currency here in Guatemala. And, you know, what's cool about Moon Wallet is like, it'll default to quetzales. So there's like a, there's, there's a one less barrier for them there. Um, so we, I'll give the first participant like 25 quetzales and he'll learn how to receive uh, Bitcoin on the Lightning Network. And then he has to send 20 quetzales to the next person. And so right there on the spot, um, he already backed up his phrase. He already received a transaction. He already sent a transaction. And then at the very end of the workshop is like the moment of truth. And we say, all right, everybody, get your phones out again. I want you all to uninstall Moon Wallet. And they're, they, you know, this is the moment where it's like, okay, it gets a little scary. What, what's going to happen? Is this going to work or not? And everybody uninstalls it and then reinstalls the application. And then it's like, all right, now instead of, you know, click here where it says create new wallet, click here where it says restore wallet and get your little piece of paper out, type in the code. And when they see that their money was right there, even though they uninstalled it, it's like, wow, this is amazing. And I see a lot of smiles and I see a lot of people just excited about the technology and um, after that, we'll go to the ATM and we'll be like, all right, this is how the ATM works and this is how you can use it and here are the limitations and here are the fees and all this other stuff so that you can use it and incorporate it into your life. That is really cool. Love hearing these stories, man. So uh, I want to shout out to Odell in the audience. We've thrown you an invite if you want to come up here. Um, would love to have you up here at any time, man. So continuing on, um, yeah, t- talk to us about like what you're doing with the with the kids there. Like, what is this Bitcoin Workers Program thing all about? Yeah, so the Bitcoin Workers Program, like I was mentioning, was um, we we found a use case here. There's a couple of use cases. This is a really good one. So, like I mentioned, the expats uh, come into Guatemala. They fa- they fall in love with Guatemala, and they come to the realization that Guatemala has a very closed financial system. The banking system here is extremely closed. And for a foreigner to come to Guatemala and get a bank account to be able to wire money in is actually really, really hard. And it requires a lot of paperwork and it requires a lot of time. And so, you know, discussing as a community was like, wow, like how can we continue to bring money into Guatemala, which is going to bring wealth for everybody? Uh, because you have expats that come into Guatemala. They, they want to live here. They buy land. They want to build a house. They want to insert money into the economy, 
but the, the, the financial system isn't letting them and they can't be withdrawing from the ATM to pay for a house. So as a community, we said, well, what are some things that we can do to soften that blow? And we kind of got together and some of these landowners, you know, we, we said, listen, we need to create a program where you can start paying for your workers in Bitcoin. And then we can use the Bitcoin ATM for them to withdraw fiat if they need to, or of course, use SATs around town. And, and so that's what we did. We developed a program specifically for them, for all of the people who are going to receive their salary, their monthly salary in Bitcoin completely. And, um, and that's the Bitcoin workers program. You know, we've, we've trained, we have about eight people onboarded onto that program now. And we just got a you know, really good news that there's a there's a Bitcoiner here as well that um, he employs a lot of people and he wants to put a lot of a lot more people into that program. That's going to be great. And so this allows the the workers around town to receive their salary in a way that's easy, uh, that doesn't require them to be banked because they're not banked anyway, and for them to be able to convert it into fiat if they need to spend sats and use this wonderful technology. So that's uh, that's the Bitcoin Workers Program. Man, that's really cool. All right, we're running up towards the end of the show. We got about five ten minutes left. I'd like to open it up. Uh, if anybody has questions, either on the panel or from the audience, you're welcome to come up and uh, ask your question. We'd love to have you. You can also ask your question in in text. Uh, we have a Telegram group t.me forward slash Cafe Bitcoin Club. Um, yeah, and then we'll give you a couple of minutes reach to to uh make some final comments if you want welcome to the stage matt odell how are you doing brother hey guys good morning um i have a quick question for andrew i believe i you know i jumped in here late i believe he uh works uh at galoy with galoy um and anyone else here who has any insight so my understanding of stable sats uh, first of all, cool concept is that uh, basically OKX, uh, the exchange, is doing uh, inverse swaps uh, in order to hedge the price risk of Bitcoin. So your Bitcoin collateral is pegged to the dollar. What is the advantage here from just OKX holding dollars, just selling the Bitcoin and holding dollars on their exchange if you have the custodial risk already? I'll probably need to summon uh, Kamal back up to answer that. Uh, I'm not uh, able to personally go into the technical end with a with with a proper response. I wouldn't want to lead you astray. Fair enough. I didn't mean to necessarily put you on the spot, but that not that's even, basically I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's that's basically my 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 main question because I when I look at it, um, you know, using inverse perpetual swaps, you open yourself up to all this additional risk. And if you're already taking the custodial risk anyway, might as well just hold dollars with the custodian. Um, that's basically my main question. But anyway, guys, uh, stay humble, stack sats. Thanks for having me up. I'll follow up on yeah, that man. on that question with you. Uh, and also, the I don't know if you checked into the um, the dealer repo on GitHub. Goes into like much more detail than like the uh, uh, the level of detail that we have on the site. Um, so not sure if the answer is there, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll grab it for you regardless. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, Jester, good morning, man. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good. Thanks. Uh, good morning. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, so first of all, I wanted to thank you for telling us about how, uh, Bitcoin Lake in Guatemala works. 
Um, my question is to you, uh, can you tell a bit more about the, the legal status of Bitcoin in Guatemala? And my question is coming from the fact that, uh, you know, I'm part of European Bitcoiners. And we when we host spaces with different countries, we always ask, is there a Bitcoin Lake or Bitcoin Beach kind of a style community in your country? And most of the time, uh, the answer is no, because and the explanation is that, you know, it, it's it, doing it legally and convincing people that, you know, you, you would have to pay tax and uh, all, all that stuff is too cumbersome. And the only way to do it would be to do it, uh, you know, outside of the legal system. And uh, and people don't want to do that. So how, how does it work in Guatemala? Is it like completely legal or is it just ignoring the legal system? That's a great question, Jester. Thank you for asking that. So. Right now in Guatemala, the National Bank has stated the following. Bitcoin is not illegal. <laughs> and that's the probably the best we could have gotten. Um, and, and so it's, it's operating as such. Like it's not, it's not illegal here. Um, people can use it. And it's going to be each business's responsibility to declare taxes on it. Um, we, we briefly touch upon it, you know, and, and a, I want to mention that in Guatemala, uh, a, a little bit more than like 80% of all commerce that happens here happens outside of the system anyway. It's all informal commerce. And you have people here um, that uh, are not banked, let alone having a financial entity that's legally established that allows them to pay taxes. So, you know, we briefly touch upon it and we say like, hey, like if you have formal accounting, if you're paying taxes, um, remember that. Bitcoin is money and should be treated as such. And it's completely up to you how you want to treat it. Thank you. All right. Um, we're about out of time. Uh, however, Bitcoin for India just came up. I don't know if you had a question or something you wanted to add. I just want to say I was listening to Bitcoin Lake and uh, his piece. It was, it was really really inspiring and i think uh, we're planning to do something very similar in india so hopefully uh, we can you know follow the footsteps of uh, bitcoin beach and bitcoin lake so i just wanted to shout out on that yeah absolutely send me send, send me a dm and happy to link up you know this is a community thing like the the, the success of bitcoin in third world countries and, and everywhere around the world is a community thing like it's everyone's responsibility and I'm happy to help and just share best practices and be able to tell you how we're doing it. And um, yeah, doors are open. Send us a DM. Happy to. All right, we're going to go with Shane, Andrew. Then we're going to let uh, Rish make some final comments and we will wrap. Go ahead, Shane. Yeah, I was just curious. You you had mentioned um, IBEX, you know, earlier, and I know they're, I think they're headquartered there in Guatemala, but are, are some of your, Merchants that you're onboarding using Ibex Pay, or are they mostly just using Moon Wallet? I'm just curious. That's a great question. Um, we get that a lot, where it's like, okay, what's the HODL versus cash out ratio? And we have an alliance with a, another company here in Coin called CoinKikes, who's also Guatemalan, and we give businesses two options, and we train them into. Um, either using Moon Wallet, CoinKaiX, which is an easy way for them to off-ramp into fiat automatically, or a combination of the two. 
And you know, one of the businesses that we onboarded, we're like, okay, like if you use Moon Wallet, you're hodling, you are, are responsible for that Bitcoin, you're self-custodying. And if you use this, if you use this other solution called CoinGaix, you know, that gets automatically translated into Kitsalis immediately deposited into your bank account, minus 2% fee. Um, and he was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. You know what? I think I'm going to do both. Like I'm, what, when I need to pay for expenses or when I need to pay for X, Y, and Z, I'm going to be using CoinGaix. Or when I sell these products, I'll, I'll be hodling to, for those Bitcoin. Um, and when I sell these other products... Uh, um, I need to cover expenses as a business. So that makes sense for me. I'm like, all right, fantastic. And so we have a lot of people that use both. Um, the CoinGuide solution does require KYC. Um, and there's some people that don't want to do that. So they're just hodling. They're, they're using Moon. But right now, if I had to guess between uh, businesses that are hodling versus businesses that are cashing out into fiat, I want to say around 60% are cashing out into fiat, 40% hodling. That's All right, good so we've got Nick back up here from Galois and also Andrew, uh, obviously still here. And I think they want to respond to Matt O'Dell's question. For If you're in the audience, you're trying to figure out what the hell is going on. We're kind of bouncing back between back and forth between two convos. One of them is about Galois. The other is about Bitcoin Lake. Um, Odell came up and he asked a question for, for uh, Galois, and we're going to let them respond to that. Then we're going to let Bitcoin Lake... Uh, Rishi makes some final comments and we're going to wrap the show. Go ahead, either Nick or Andrew. Yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll hand to Odell and uh, to, to let you ask the question. You know, my takeaway was why not just hold dollars with OKX, um, but I'll, I'll let you ask it. Uh, uh, didn't want to butcher the answer. So we got Nicholas back on stage. Yeah, I mean, my question, uh, how's it going, Nick? Uh, my question is basically... Uh, if you're taking custodial risk anyway by having a centralized exchange, OKX handle the swaps, why not uh, simply have them hold dollars rather than taking on that additional risk of, you know, that additional swap risk? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so there is a fundamental, fundamental difference between holding dollar or using a derivative exchange. The, the key point to have in mind, you know, whether you use dollar in a bank account or even stable coin, you know, like whether it's Tether or USDC, is that the issuer need to have banking access, right? And, and this is a, a key risk uh, if you think about it, because maybe, you know, next month, the, you know, US government wake up and say, you know what, like we don't want stable coin anymore. You know, we think it's a threat on the dollar. Maybe, uh, I, I don't think it may have but who knows, right? And, and they say, you know what, like every issuer that have, you know, banking access, like we don't want them to use, uh, you know, the banking access anymore, the stable coin should, should, be, should be closed, basically. And uh, if you use a, a derivative contract, the key takeaway to in mind is that you have no, no, no banking access needed, you know, and so you can use any derivative exchange, right? I mean, we start with OKX because it's the one that have significant liquidity, but you could use any other derivative exchange, you know, you could use one which is Lightning only, Collider, for instance, and and those exchanges have no banking access, right? And you could construct those USD, you know, synthetic USD contract, even if, you know, there is no banking access anywhere on those exchanges. So OKX, sure, like they have, you know, stable coin on it, they have, I think banking access with some country, I'm not too sure. Um, but this is a type of contract that you can uh, create 
with any derivative exchange, and this is what makes them appealing, is that even if this exchange is a pure Bitcoin exchange, right? Think about like BitMEX you know, five years ago, right? When when they started, it was pure Bitcoin only as a payment rail. Like you can create those synthetic USD with it. it, it it's one of the key aspects right now. Uh, another thing that is interesting is that if you think about proof of reserve, you could extend the proof of reserve maybe from the wallet to the custodial exchanges. So we will have proof of reserve in our stack, you know, maybe in one or two months, like it's work in progress. And the idea is that if we have proof of reserve on our, on our wallet, you know, we can show that, okay, the Bitcoin that we have, you know, we have reserve for it. But if you also use at some point some exchanges that also have proof of reserve, we can really create in some way a chain of trust where like if the exchanges also have proof of reserve and we create synthetic USD to it, then there is some assurance that you know also the exchanges like do not try to run in some you know under collateralized operation, right? Or or, or fractional reserve uh, operation, and and so it's one of the only way where you can prove that you know the, the dollar is, is really there because you extend this proof of reserve and those exchange only operate on Bitcoin; they don't operate on fiat. And, and this is also a, a unique uh, uh, way of you know creating trust with these Bitcoin-only exchanges, right? So yeah, this would be my my answer to this question. So basically, to sum it up. Uh, with this first test case with OKX, uh, it doesn't really make a difference because you could just hold USD on OKX. But uh, in general, this is supposed to be kind of like an open mechanism that people can plug in as long as they are able to short Bitcoin somewhere. Yeah, that's a short answer. And and I, I could dive more into it, like because if if you use some leverage, you can actually have less collateral. So. Today, if you want to have hundred dollars in USDC, USDT, like you have to buy this hundred dollars, like you, you cannot have partial uh, collateral for it. Um, if you use a derivative exchange, you could uh, adjust your, your risk ratio and say, okay, let me use two x maybe leverage, so that you have less collateral on the exchanges. And if the exchanges go down, you only lose fifty percent of your collateral versus you will lose hundred percent if suddenly. USDT go down. So you can also adjust how much collateral you have on the exchange and use leverage to limit the amount of money you will lose. If the exchange go down, it's something you cannot do with stablecoin. Uh, there is a downside to this though, is that if you use leverage, you may get liquidated. So it's something in our, in our tech stack, like there is a variable, you can set how much leverage you want. You can have one X leverage and therefore you have no leverage really and, and you can have two X, three X. The, the only downside to this leverage is that if the price of Bitcoin will go up significantly, so if you use 2x, it means if the price of Bitcoin were to double, by the time we can put more collateral, which is typically half an hour if you use on-chain Bitcoin, uh, then you can limit uh, your exchange risk right, by a factor of two, by a factor of three, depending on how much leverage you want to use. All right. Thanks for that. We do have to uh, move to wrap. I'm going to get let Rishi say a couple of words. Anything you want to plug or anything you want to talk about for Bitcoin Lake as we wrap up here? Thanks, Alex. Yeah, the first thing that I want to do is I really want to give thanks. I want to give thanks, first of all, to Bitcoin Beach and everybody over at Galois. Uh, big shout out to you guys. Thank you so much for laying out 
the groundwork for all of these other communities that are spreading up all over the world. So thank you very much. Congratulations on this new feature that you guys got with the stable stats. Wishing you guys the best. And um, thank you so much to the community. And uh, we'll see you at Adopting BTC over in November. Can't wait to meet all of you and uh, continue to work to implement Lightning Network all over the world. And thank you so much, Alex, for having us on. You bet, brother. Appreciate you coming. I love hearing the story. This is what we need. Need more guys like you getting on the damn mission. Uh, that's a wrap. Over to Chris, Bitcoin Mag. You guys got anything? Yeah. Uh, just really excited for uh, this conversation day. It really enjoyed it. Thank you, everyone, from the Gloy team, as well as the Bitcoin Lake guys and gals. Uh, just, I guess, quick, three quick things. We've got Bitcoin Amsterdam, uh, October 12th through the 14th. Uh, many great speakers. One of them is Odell. will be speaking there. Uh, as well as a great community in the Amsterdam community. You can use the code BMLive to get 10% off your tickets. We've got the Bitcoin Magazine censorship resistant issue. It's a great issue. It's the longest issue to date. Uh, many great articles in there, as well as a great swan ad. And then at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, we have Bitcoin Magazine Live on YouTube, Rumble, and Twitch. We're going to be going over the news and notes for today with PQ and myself. And then we're, our guest is going to be Dr. Jeff Ross. So we're going to have a 90-minute macro conversation. I know he's Dr. Bear, but uh, let's see if any of his insights change. And I'd love to get Q's idea of what's <laughs> going to happen with the economy as well. Q always has some funny insights on what he thinks is going to happen. Back over to you, Alex. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah. He's a funny dude, man. Um, I love Dr. Bear. I love me some Dr. Bear. All right. That's a wrap. You have been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. We do this every day. We talk about Bitcoin, Monday through Friday. We do this live on Twitter Spaces. We start at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10, 10 a.m. Eastern. Excuse me. Roll for about two hours. It's a great place to learn, place to get your morning news on Bitcoin. I prefer to hang out for some of the smartest minds in Bitcoin to just chill, drop in here on the regular. First time we had Matt O'Dell on the show today. Big fan of that guy. Not too fanboy too much, but I, I listen to him and Marty a lot growing up as a Bitcoiner, so proper shout-outs to those guys. You will kill all your heroes. Eh, I don't know about heroes. I just appreciate... I don't like to paddle still eyes anybody, but I do appreciate when I can learn from people, you know? And I've learned a lot from those dudes. So, um, this is also, by the way, a podcast. You can't catch a live show. It's up on Fountain, Spotify, Apple, everywhere that you get your podcasts. You can throw myself or Swan Bitcoin to follow to be notified of when those drop. I want to thank the sponsors of the show, Swan Bitcoin, Bitcoin Magazine, my crew, and Shane, that's for life, producer Jacob. I'm your host, Alex Danzig. I work with Swan Bitcoin. If you want to know more about Swan, I'm happy to help you. Just shoot me a DM. Thanks again to the speakers for coming today, Nick, Andrew, El Flaco. I love that handle. And uh, Rishi from Bitcoin Lake. And all the speakers that come up here on the regular. Appreciate all you guys. Everybody go out there. Have a great day today. Love all you guys. Oh, also, get on the damn mission. If you're not already on it, hang out here. You will figure it out. Everybody go out there. Have a great day today. Crush it. <laughs>